This Tome Show production is supported by Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine about all sorts of gaming. Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again, and listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon store. Welcome to the News Desk. Once a month, we get together to chat about the latest news in D&D, and I'm your host, Sam Dillon. And I'm Jeff Greiner, and our man on the street reporter this time... Everybody is on the edge of the seats waiting to see who our special <laughs> guest is going to be, our, our ever-changing man-on-the-street reporter. It is Randall Walker. That's me. <laughs> I am on the street an awful lot. <laughs> well, Take you know. that as you will. Yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> There's all kinds of ways that could go. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> and... and um, we also made a liar out of Sam because we, you, in our description, you discussed how this is uh, our our once a month get together. But it's oh, been, it has true. been more than a month since we've recorded. Yeah. Uh, we decided to take November and December, and with holidays and things going on, just sort of mash them up into one sort of holiday news desk. And so that's what you're getting now, and it works out well because they've just only recently announced the the last sort of uh, article for um, Wizards of the Coast website until the next year anyway. So. Uh, We'll get into full months of news, and we'll do it in a little bit different format. We got an email from a listener, and they suggested, you know, getting the basics of the news is easy. They can, you know, anybody can just go to the website and find out what's going on. And I think there's value in in both of that, right? Some people don't want to have to go to the website and go, sort through all that to figure out what's going on. Um, sure. But they would rather have longer conversations with a, a longer time limit, even if it meant fewer articles discussed. And so what we're going to try out this time, instead of having six articles to talk about and six news bits to, to discuss, although very briefly, uh, we're going to s- kind of slice it in half, where we're each going to have one article to discuss, giving us 10 minutes to talk about it, which should give us plenty of time to discuss. In fact, I'll be – my larger concern at this point is we, are we going to have enough to say to fill 10 minutes on each article? Um, oh, I think we will. But I, yeah, I think we'll do fine. And honestly, if we wrap it up a little bit early, I, I'm not too horribly upset with that. Plus, we're going to add in, uh, like we did last time, the lightning round. Um, which is going to give us a chance to sort of say, okay, well, here's the basics that we should at least mention is going on and then uh, take the real time to get into our, our deeper conversations on the other articles. So, And for the for the three articles, since we're not doing six anymore, we've tried to pick a, a, a range of articles. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So. Different things. So you won't hear, you know, you'll only hear one article discussing for, uh, monsters, for example, although there were several that were interesting and could be talked about. Um, sure. So we'll see if and if people like that. Uh, if you if you guys like the idea of doing only three articles, um, at, at, but more in depth conversation uh, and analysis, then then let us know. If you prefer getting in twice as many articles but a little uh, less deep conversation, uh, let mm-hmm. us know that either. I, I don't. I'm not opposed to either one. I'm happy to do either. And as you can see, that's exactly what I was going to say. As you can see, we value your input because you know what we're trying a slightly different format. You know, this is sort of a new podcast, but it's probably going to be on for a long time, probably at least a year until and at least until the uh, the new edition is released, an actual release, not a beta test, mm-hmm. uh, and probably after that. So, you know, if we can horse around with the format to make it something that uh, the most number of people would get some, you know, something of value from, then we're willing to do that. 
I think it would be awesome if our show had a completely different format every single episode and 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 the same guest reporter every single episode. <laughs> that's, we can make that happen. The thing that's supposed to rotate will be the same and the thing that's supposed to be the same will change yeah. every time. <laughs> We're living the dream. That's right. <laughs> did you mention how people can get a hold of us if they want to send us that? I did not. If you would like to email us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That is thetomeshow at gmail.com. No space no underscores, no capitalization, just the tome show at gmail.com. That's right. And actually that goes to me and then I forward it on to, to anybody who needs to see it. So that is the, the catch-all email for anything from the Home Show Productions. Uh, shall we go ahead and jump into the lightning round? Let's do it. We've each got three little news bits that we'll sort of uh, mention and, and have whatever brief, brief, brief conversations we want to have. We want to try to keep this down to about 10 minutes total um, and, and then move on. So Sam? Okay, well, quickly, uh, this is the uh, sort of Wizards of the Coast preview for December uh, and for the first quarter of 2013. And one of the things that they mention is that, oh, budding, there's a new D&D playtest out. I think it was released on the 17th. That was uh, two days ago as of this recording. So that is correct. That is correct. So, you know, that's pretty exciting news. I think it's the biggest one yet. It's It's got some uh, some pretty good changes in it. And uh, Mike Merles was really, um, you know, they're, try- they're being really transparent about those changes. I'll just say that. And we're going to talk about some stuff later. So yeah. uh, also they, they're talking about uh, making revisions to the website and asking how people like it and asking, you know, how well it serves the purposes of, of the gamers that are its main clientele. And that was one of and, the big, that was one of the big things they did in 2012. Um, is, right. Exactly. With all this. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then uh, they gave us some 2012 highlights. They talk about uh, some different special things they had, like the April Fool's Day prank and the Halloween things and cartoons and all that stuff. Um, mentioned that they started a new format with ongoing weekly columns and a bunch of content. Uh, I think, you know, it's pretty important to remind the listeners and, and, the, and the fans how much content they actually produce. Yeah. And they do a nice job of doing that very succinctly there. Um, and then they link to the two packs, Acquisitions Incorporated D&D Next games uh, or videos that were on there. It's a couple hours worth of video split into two chunks. And oh, then they I'm, talk I'm about – I'm still kind of sad those never came out in audio format as podcasts. Yeah, I, I, me too, because I normally listen to things in all audio because I don't have time to watch. But, right. you know, it's there, so it's good. Um, and then they talk about actual things that were released. The latest novel to be released was Brimstone Angels, Lesser Evils. Which is, uh, Tracy and I discussed the other day, is going to be our next book club book uh, starting in January. We're going to read half of that book in January. So people there you go. join Perfect. us for that. Yeah, and you've read this is a, a series, right? So you've read um, this. Well, it's not a series uh, in that, it, but it, it's a continuation of the of sa- the same characters. It's not a continuation oh. of the story, but it is it is the same characters. Ah, excellent. So there you go. That just came out. Um, and then uh, in terms of novels, in February, um, R. A. Salvatore or Salvatore, as depending on how you choose to pronounce it, uh, has another book coming out called called Karen's Claw. It's not. A, it's not another book. This is just the paperback version of. The oh, it's paperback. Oh, okay. See, there you go. See, that's because I don't. I don't read the novels. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, 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 and in fact, I interviewed uh, Mr. Salvatore about Karen's Claw when it came out in hardback uh, several months back. Oh, you know what? That's right. I did know that. Myself uh, and, and uh, Mark Meredith from Dice Monkey, we sort of did a, a, com- a combo episode. Yeah. 
I did know that. So there you go. My, my memory is failing. There you go. Um, and the, the, the final book they mention is The Brotherhood of the Griffin, Book 5, Prophet of the Dead by Richard Lee Byers, which I cannot speak to because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, once I, haven't, again. I haven't read any of those. Although I, I should because it deals with um, an area of the Forgotten Realms that I've recently used heavily. Mm. Um, the uh, Thay and Zaz Tam and all that, which played heavily in my campaign. Right, right. Well, so there you go. Um, and then they talk about uh, February, which has another Dungeon Command supplement coming out called The Blood of Groomsh, which uh, shows a couple of cards and, and a nice little mini there. Looks like a... Yeah, looks like a good uh, a good little set there. I, I hear lots of good things about Dungeon Command. I still have yet to play it, oh. so I'm I'm not a very good. But we, uh, but we'll have an episode coming out about it very soon, right? Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. That is true. Um, and then the things that I'm most interested in are coming out in February and March. Kicking it old June. school. Yes, the old school stuff. Uh, in February, they are reprinting the first edition version of the Unearthed, Ar- Unearthed Arcana book, which sort of. uh, for the first time, this will have errata printed, the errata printed in it. So uh, it's the original one from, you know, from the first edition. I can't remember the initial release date, but oh, 1985. Um, but uh, the year I go. graduated high school. I yeah. was six. <laughs> I was in high school, yeah. Um, and so there you go. So that I'm really looking forward to, uh, if only because um, I do not have a copy of that with errata combined into it or included in it, so that'll be really exciting for me. Um, and then in March and June, they are releasing some hardcover collections of old classic modules. And the first one is called Dungeons of Dread, and it's a hardcover book with reprints of the famous S-series of dungeon adventure modules. Yeah, I was, I was really shocked to look at the, the titles that are in the S-series, because every mm-hmm. single one of them is spoken of as a classic, and I didn't realize they were yeah. all in the same series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, they are they are killers, and they are extremely fun to play, and they have each one of them. Ha- so I'll just tell you what they are, just in case you don't know. Uh, S1 is the Tomb of Horrors. Everyone, I think, has heard of that. Um, it's the original Tomb of Horrors, and S2 is White Plume Mountain. It's sort of the original um, uh, tricks and traps uh, adventure trying to get through and, and find um, some special items. S2... Or, or, I mean, White Plume Mountain mm-hmm. pushes the boundaries of what magic looks like inside of a dungeon. Right, mm. exactly. Yeah, it um, really does. Yeah. S3 is Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. That is the, uh, the module that sort of was a fusion of fantasy and science so fiction. That, I would say that's the UFO, right? Yeah, it's a spaceship. And one of the, the fun things about it is if your players can role play through figuring out, trying to figure out what things are, you can have some very hilarious moments because mm-hmm. you have to describe to them what this item is. And you may know that it's a ray gun or whatever, but if the players aren't really getting a good idea in their mind of what the item is, you can have some pretty hilarious attempts at trying to figure out what this thing does. Awesome. Um, so that that's a classic. Uh, and then and S- don't forget about Veggie Pygmies. Uh, right. <laughs> yes. Um, and S four, the Lost Caverns of Sojkanth or Sojkanth. It has a um, a very sort of uh, I don't know what do you, what do you think makes this classic, Randall? Lost Caverns of Sojkanth for me, I think it's classic because of how much lore it ties together for Greyhawk. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it involves some NPCs um, that are directly related to Ayus and um, things like that. And so I'm not, I mean, it's pretty much a cavern crawl mm-hmm. and a dungeon crawl. But I think, like I said, the classic part of that, at least as my, for my understanding, is how much of the lore of Greyhawk at all is together. Uh, June 2013, the second sort of uh, hardcover collection comes out, and that is the uh, Slave Pits series or the Against the Slave Lords series, which is uh, A1, 2, 3, and 4. It's Slave Pits of the Undercity. And A0. Yeah, Secret Secret of the Slaver Stockade, Assault on the Area of the Slave Lords, and In the Dungeons of the Slave Lords, A4, which is one of my favorite modules, although it's... I'm not sure it stands up to the test of time, but it's still for it for its time. It was one of the best and was exciting for what it did. Um, and they and and as Jeff said, they add a zero danger at Dark Shelf Quarry for you to uh, sort of as a lead in because of course these all four of these modules were used as Gen Con tournament modules and. Um, when you went through them, it was just expected you're thrown into this situation. Uh, right. So for a campaign play, you might need a bigger lead-in. And so what they did was they wrote a, a, a different lead-in so that you could actually get your group into this this uh, yeah. situation. Now, here's what I'm, here's what I'm noticing that, that's interesting to me is that historically, um, when we're between editions like we are right now, they, put, mm-hmm. they usually put out less product. And, when they, and the product they do put out tends to be edition neutral. You know, and, and they've been doing that so far. Menzo Branzan was the mm-hmm. was was edition neutral. Um, uh, the uh, Elminster's Elminster's yeah. Forgotten Realms. We just interviewed Ed uh, Greenwood about that recently, yeah. and, and that's all edition neutral. And then mm-hmm. we look at what's coming out next year, and with the exception of the minis and the novels, right. um, nothing is edition neutral. It's all reprints of old stuff. <laughs> you know, we have yeah. we have first edition and second edition stuff coming out, basically, right? Um. This is all first edition, actually. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's all first yeah. edition. But, yeah, I, all first but edition. I think, you know, that I think what they're doing is trying to make a point of, you know, if you really play, if you want to play one of these in D&D Next, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can just grab this and play it. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. I, so, I think you're in right. In a way, it is kind of edition neutral. I, th- I don't. I don't think you're wrong, and I think there's there's a, a it's it's part of their callback to to the nostalgia of D and D that they're trying to recapture with next, um, and, and I don't think that's that's necessarily a bad thing. I just find it interesting that they're taking a very different approach. I mean, this has got to be a fairly cost effective approach for them as well. They don't. They're not hiring any writers or artists. I mean, they're mm-hmm. largely using just what what they already have and and reprinting it. Yep. So it'll be interesting for me to see the introductory module. Um, those modules originally started at fourth level. Ah. I don't know if that will continue to be the case, um, or how they'll how they'll make those if they'll make any level adjustments to the whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if the introductory module is starts them at second or third or even first and brings you up all the way to fourth level. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, it yeah. says that A zero is set for levels one to three. Yep. And it, oh, sets, really? okay. it sets the stage for the A series, so I'm assuming it's going to be something pretty hefty uh, oh, wow. in order to get you up to. Because I believe A one through A four are four to seven, right? Because you can have a yes. party of mixed levels, and unlike fourth edition, and uh, you know yeah. you don't you don't all progress at the same level. So you might have some fifth level thieves and a seventh level fighter, but you've got some fourth level you know mages, right? right. Um, so yeah, well, so and that wraps it up. I mean, that's pretty much. 
what's happening that that brings us through the first main quarter of 2013 and i'm super excited i, I know watsy uh, takes a little holiday at the end so yep. uh you know this sort of wrap-up article is like the perfect thing to to make me excited for next year absolutely mm-hmm. uh, and and and, I'll, and I'll, i noticed interestingly enough that what we don't have any mention of yet is digital reprints of old stuff that they promised us so mm-hmm. i still look yeah. forward to hearing that news when it comes out hopefully very shortly after the break so let's go on to randall T-shirts, boom. T-shirt cannon. Um, <laughs> Wizards of the Coast is hitting us with T-shirts uh, over at... Um, Ar- oh, Araka? Yeah, Araka. That's what it's called, exactly. And uh, they've got several designs available. I think they started this back in October, and they've released some additional designs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of cool ones out here. Uh, my personal favorite is a... Um, uh, Dave, get the barbarian in the corner. Another drink has the classic art from the Dungeon Master's Guide in it. I love that particular artist. He has several um, of his pieces in the Dungeon Master's Guide, and he's one of my favorite illustrators in the Dungeon Ma- in the AD and D First Edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, there are also several iconic covers and ampersand and. Um, what else we got here? Uh, my favorite's going to be the uh, the yawning portal because it's a it's a sort of an inside Forgotten Realms reference. <laughs> that is that is a very specific inn or tavern oh, okay. in, in Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. See, I would. I, I'm not sure I would have known that. So yeah, that's the entrance um, to Undermountain. Yeah, my one um, my one comment is there's only one ladies' tea available. I think they could do better. They could. Um, it does have a great um, iconic uh, box set. That's the box set I learned on, um, mm-hmm. and I love that set. Uh, but. Uh, uh, the one ladies they need to do better than just one lady's tea. They can get some more in there, or offer them in different ones. But there's a lot of selection of colors, a good mix of grays and blacks and reds. So get a t-shirt. Proclaim <laughs> that love of D and D. And they're they're twenty five dollars. So yes, they are. So put down your quarter C bill and 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 I don't know that you're right. When I click on when I go into the into the store, the t-shirt store, and I click on women. Um, they have all of the options in women's. Oh, really? They do. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. It may well, just, then I, I stand correct. It may just be a little more difficult to navigate and get in. Get. That's interesting, though, because if you're at, if you're on the homepage, this is actually good knowledge probably for the listeners. Mm-hmm. Like if I click on the ampersand fire tee on the, from the homepage, it only gives me men's sizes. It doesn't give me women's sizes. But if I click women and I go to the ampersand, it is a separate product, the ampersand fire women's tee. So then you'll get women's sizes. Yep. Apparently, yep, exactly. So it's yep. a different Go to the cut section. Yeah, it's a different cut. So you have to if you want to if you want the women's cut, you have to make sure you get the shirt with women's in the title. So the shirt's no different. I mean, the design's no different. There's no you know gender bias there, but you have to get the women's one if you want the women's cut. Otherwise, you're going to get a, a man's cut T-shirt. There we go, and that's the T-shirts. Yep. And I'm going to do my lightning round article uh, talking about the, the last Legends and Lore article of the, of the year, I guess, of 2012, yep. um, called Wrapping Up 2012, where basically he just announces that uh, in case you didn't notice or didn't get the email on December 17th, um, there's a new playtest packet out. And it's covering um, some higher level stuff and giving us some more options and progressing the, the playtesting uh Stuff. So look at that. The one thing that they seem to be very interested in to discussing right now is prestige classes. It was something very popular from third edition that they want to carry over. Um, they want to make it a little bit less um, of 
here's how you get this nifty, cool mechanical thing and make it more of here's a, a prestige class you can get to enhance the story of your character. And so make they they want to make like the the you know one of the things that people were turned off by by of prestige classes back in third edition was that you had to start planning at level one so that you could get to the prestige class and, and to to qualify for it. Uh, and so they're going to try to do less of that and more of the uh, what has your character actually done story-wise that would qualify them for a prestige class. Uh, and, there, and there's a survey they want you to take to let, let you know what, the, what your favorite prestige classes are to make sure they, they code them over and bring them to D&D next. Mm-hmm. And that was my main complaint with with uh, prestige classes as well because yeah. it, it sort of forced people to almost to metagame and to min-max from a very low level so that they can get this thing they want their their PC to attain, you know, 15 levels from now. And uh, for people who don't min-max their game like that, it's a bit onerous to have to do that. It's absolutely um, onerous, yeah. Yeah, and, and for people who do like it, it's great, I assume. I, I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not in that category, so I can't really speak to it. But that was my main complaint with those, that particular. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, it's not any different, that, uh, I guess, mechanically in terms of, um, of hitting the requirements is different. But 4th edition had Paragon Paths, which effectively uh-huh. allowed you to do the same sort of thing. Um, right. And, and themes and were the same thing, and Epic Destinies were the same thing, just at diff- the different mm-hmm. tiers. Um, right. and, I, and I got to a point about halfway through my big campaign where I, I figured out as a DM how to really use those and push them as story elements instead, mm-hmm. of, instead of just, hey, you picked up this, this cool new mechanical thing. Um, but it took, me, you know, it took me some time to develop that, that insight as a DM uh, to really push that and, and make it worthwhile. So um, I'm glad that they're trying to build it into the, the, the characters as a story element rather than just a mechanical element. So I'll, I'll be, that'll make my life easier when I try to use it. Yep. Yep. Agreed. All right, Randall. Yes. Any thoughts? Okay. No, I think you covered it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, now we're going to take a quick break to mention our sponsor of the episode. That is Noble Knight Games, a game store that specializes in finding out-of-print game products. And for this week's pick of the episode, I chose The Keep on the Borderlands. Now, if you've been playing the D&D playtest, uh, you will have maybe, possibly, some experience with the Keep on the Borderlands because there is a, a sort of uh, mini version of the Keep on the Borderlands in the playtest packet for the from the beginning. Uh, but if you would like to know the entire uh, historical part of the Keep on the Borderlands, the, the one in the playtest is sort of just the Caves of Chaos and not the Keep itself – and uh, there's a lot of really cool role playing things you can do in the keep, and so so the the playtest pack it gives you the gives you the dungeon, but not the story. Right, it gives you the dungeon and not the story. It doesn't give you sort of the way to, you know, the the, the keep on the Borderlands was a, a module that came with some of the the beginner sets, like the basic D and D sets. Um, and one of the reasons that it did that was because it is a beginner module and it gives lots of advice to the DM. Now, some of this advice might be dated, but some of the advice is really great and it's and it still applies today. And it's good for anybody to read it. And if you want to take a look at it, you can get it at Noble Knight Games. They have three copies for sale right now. One of them is seven fifty. One of them is seven dollars, and one of them is five dollars. They range from very good fair to just fair. Um, and one of them has a photocopied page. But, you know, if you just want a reading copy, five bucks is a quite fine price for that. 
wonderful product. So there you go. So head on over to Noble, Noble Knight, and uh, we'll have links in the show notes. And make sure you tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. With a huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. All right, so now it's time to get into the the uh, more in-depth sort of conversation here. Um, each of us is going to take a topic. We mentioned before we're going to change the format. We're each going to take one topic, and we're going to give it t- up to 10 minutes worth of conversation. If we go short, then we'll go short, and that's okay. Uh, we've called the topics down from a rather massive list because we're taking basically two months' worth of, of topics this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the full list is available uh, over at delicious.com slash squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H delicious.com slash s-q-u-a-c-h if you want to see the full list of articles that we didn't talk about all right well jeff set the timer timer set i have the first topic okay the first topic is an article from um november 6th by james wyatt it's the wandering monsters article that he writes uh every is it once a week i think i guess it's once a week uh this one is called things from beyond the stars and this article is about aberrations. And um, I picked this article article for two reasons. Number one is that it has a couple of my favorite monsters in it, and uh, the article talks about beholders, mind flayers, and aboleths. And I really like aberrations as a class of creature because I think of aberrations as this sort of strange, otherworldly creature that when you encounter it, it is completely alien and that can allow, for me, as from a, from a DM's perspective, that can allow you to really mess with your players' heads. And I don't mean in a psionic powers kind of way. <laughs> I just mean, imagine if this alien creature is living in an underground lake, and you're a fighter, and you go down there, and suddenly you're in this cavern and it has this weird glow and you hear weird noises and things that look far away are actually closer than they appear, that kind of thing. You can really mess with their minds and give really great sort of otherworldly descriptions of an otherwise normal natural environment yes, because yeah, and I these a, creatures are in there. I have kind of an, an opposite sort of um, a, a feeling about aberrations mm-hmm. in, that, in that I really like some of the monsters that are aberrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the class and, and larger story of Aberrance um, doesn't appeal to me as much. Right. Only because I feel like the far realmy Cthuloid sort of thing is a little uh, overdone in D&D. And that's, and that's, actually, that's actually what they address <laughs> in this article. So that's a perfect lead-in huh. to, to what and – so And so you actually make a really good point. And, and, and you know, if you look at our, the way that the two of us think slightly differently about Aberrations, he under uh, – or they, I guess I should say they, even though James Wyatt wrote the article – you know, this is a whole team of people doing this. They actually understand that because, of course, they're getting a ton of fan feedback in the beta test, right? And one of the first things he does in the article is he defines aberration as a char- as a creature class. And he looks at what it was in, you know, the 3.5 edition monster manual, and he looks at what it says in the 4th edition monster manual, and then he 
he gives the definition, the working definition for D&D Next. And one of the things that it specifically does is take out Far Realm mm-hmm. from the actual necessity of where they come from. Okay. So, oh, and, go oh, ahead. Sam, if I may, I actually did a um, Unearthed Arcana article regarding mm-hmm. uh, Aberrants and the Far Realm. And mm-hmm. Alien definitely um, strikes the, the proper chord because you never, while we talk about creatures from other um, uh, planes of existence a lot, you know, demons, mm-hmm. devils, elementals, we don't yep. talk about creatures from other planets. Right. Assuming that your fantasy world shares a universe with other planets within the same plane. Well, clearly you've um, never played Spelljammer. well exactly though and in fact um, Spelljammer actually gives extensive histories on um, on aberrant creatures like um, the very ones that you're mentioning Sam Mm -hmm. so um, it's aliens the key word there and yeah you gotta run with it so and so I think but one of the points that that he makes in the article is you know they craft a definition that doesn't rely on the far realm because they know that, that that the realms and the planes of hell and all those things that they sort of put in as canon, that some DMs just might not use that, or they might not mention it, or it might not. It shouldn't be ne- a necessary part of having an aberrant creature in the game. Also, they didn't want to make creatures that have similar physical characteristics, tentacles and eye stalks particularly. It doesn't necessarily automatically put them in an aberrant creature. You know, category because a crab has eye stalks, and yet we know it's not otherworldly, right? Yeah, see, I've always my, my in my head the definition of aberrant of an aberrant creature has always just sort of been the stuff that's too weird and doesn't fit into anything else. Mm-hmm. That's just right. that, that, you know, yeah. ignoring alien and all that. It's just the really weird stuff that we can't figure out how to categorize otherwise. Mm-hmm. But see, I think that it's not that though. Right. And and I think that unfortunately the word aberrant has the tendency to make people use it in a broader way, but in terms of creatures, it has a pretty specific and it, I, the reason I picked this article is because the, the definition they give, the working definition for D&D Next is specific enough to uh, to address what you're saying, but also broad enough to allow you to add in creatures if you need to, or take them away if you need to. And and I think it's fascinating how they came to this because he gives you know the 3.5 edition definition and the fourth edition sort of definition, and then the new definition and why they made that definition the way they did, which I find fascinating because I I'm I'm a biologist, so I love thinking about ecology and how different things work and all that kind of stuff. And creature sort of creature lore goes into that. I really dig that kind of stuff. Not so much in terms of mechanics, because the the article is not about mechanics at all, really. It mentions them very briefly when it talks about beholder eye stocks and they try to stick to the the sort of the traditional abilities of the eye stocks, but that's the only sort of mechanical thing they talk about. Everything else is really more about lore and how they are thinking about these creatures when they try to develop this class of creature in the next edition of the game, which I find totally fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in a way, Jeff is kind of right though, in the way it is definition goes, because mm -hmm. if you think about the creatures on a world, whether they were put there magically or whether you think they evolved there or whatever, the, those ecologies work together. They, mm-hmm. they all fit. They have a piece to play. And these creatures that we call aberrants don't fit that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. and they're totally out of, you know, there's no biological reason an aboleth exists. <laughs> or there's no, yeah. or no, yeah, yeah. I mean, no magical or divine reason either. And mm-hmm. so as a result, you have this thing that's sort of out of space and time and, and boom, there you, there you go. You got right. your aberrant creature, regardless of its physical form, you know. Right. But so. that's why I, that's why, that's, so that's, there are two things about that. That's one of the reasons why the aboleth description in this article actually fails. And it's also the reason why I say you can really mess with the players and, and mess with the PCs when they, if they go into an area where there's been an alien infestation, basically. Mm-hmm. That infestation, if that alien's surviving, it has to be changing its environment in some way. And that's going to manifest itself somehow. And it may be just with the perceptions of the PCs as they enter that area where that creature's living, because all three of these are underground creatures, right? Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to, but it's a great tool that the DM can use if they want to. Now, to, to talk about why the Aboleth fails, when he talks in this article about beholders and, and sort of, he mentions how they look and really talks about what they can do and sort of what their background is, their intelligence and different things like that, how they're masterminds. And then he talks about mind flayers sort of in the same way. And then he talks about aboleths and he really mostly talks about the look of the aboleth and how strange it is and how it's water. He does a cool thing and talks about the, the mucus that it secretes, Mm -hmm. but doesn't, I I just felt like the, the beholder and the mind flayer, the way he talked about it really evoked for me, a beholder and a mind flayer, even with all their strangeness, what we normally think of them traditionally. But aboleths, I don't know. It seems like they're sort of feeling around in the dark, and they're not. They don't really have a good idea of the aboleths yet. Well, and honestly, um, that doesn't bother me too much because of the three, the aboleth is the one I don't care as much about <laughs> because I don't. Yeah. yeah. Aboleths almost never come up uh, for me. It's just not. It's not a creature that tends to inspire me very much. Yeah. Whereas the mind flayers and the beholders. I adore them, and I like the idea of, of a more broad definition of aberration because it allows me um, – you know, the broader it is, the easier it is for me to even fudge it one way or the other and, and make it something different for me. You know, A beholder yeah. and a mind flayer, the way they've described it, I could very easily say it's not uh, alien. It's uh, a magical aberration that, that's occurred naturally on this world or unnaturally on this world or whatever, and I can make that work easier with a broader definition. Mm-hmm. Whereas oh, if, sure. they, if they have such a specific definition, it's such a specific story, there's more tied to that, and it makes it harder for me to, to fudge it. Yep. Yep. I'll agree with that. What, what I also find fascinating is it talks about, you know, like the thralls of the mind flare. Um, and how you know event you know that hap- how the process by which that happens how something becomes a thrall but then it sort of made me question well so that bugbear that the mind flayer captured and has now made its thrall is that thing an aberrant creature now too or is it still a bugbear which is still a natural a bugbear, creature as far as I'm concerned. right <laughs> but so but but no but it's just, that's it's just mind nominated right no but that that's something that you can play with in your campaign though right oh, that's sure, sure, sure. My, that's yeah. what i'm trying to say is that this this sort of article evoked for me a whole bunch of different thoughts about things so then i went to the playtest packet and i looked up the beholder which is in the playtest packet and it doesn't give any of this background all it gives is stats sure. and i was i got really disappointed well <laughs> but you know well, that's just that's how they're doing it i yeah. know and uh, look at that. The times. We, 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 that. we managed to squeeze in 10, get 10 minutes of conversation out of that and still cut <laughs> us off at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard topic for me not to run with. So mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, yeah. I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> All right. So I think we, we've exhausted that, that topic t- for as much as we can until we get more information about what's officially going to happen. So, yep. 
All right, moving on. Uh, Randall's going to talk to us about expertise dies. Go. Yes. Um, back uh, oh, a month ago, um, Mike Morrells, one of the major, um, one of the uh, new mechanic that's in D&D Next is the use of expertise dice um, for maneuvers. And expertise dice increase um, as you level up. And the, they are dice that you can apply to assist you with damage or to allow you to provide um, or to perform additional maneuvers for your character. And it's mainly, um, right now they look like they're mainly using them for martial characters or characters that, you know, use weapons as their main combat, thieves, um, I mean, excuse me, rogues, uh, you know, fighters, monks. (laughs) For the slip. Yeah, sorry. Um, But uh, it could be... uh, a broader use as well. And um, the nice thing about the expertise dice is that it doesn't have, they can still keep their, um, the power rating doesn't have to exponentially climb and they can keep it more flat because only damage is increasing and not your two hit bonus. Mm -hmm. So um, while as you get higher level, you can do more damage it's still just as difficult to hit something as it was. It's not that does not increase as exponentially as, for example, like four E would. But, whereas but, everything's but you can piled also, on. But you can also burn them to do other things to, with the the expertise dies, right? It doesn't have to be yes. straight up damage, right? It's not just damage. It can be to to be able to perform certain maneuvers as well, and they renew every turn. So uh, one of the things they do mention in the fact is. That because of this mechanic, you do have to keep track. Well, did I use my all my expertise dice, you know, um, or whatever? Essentially, as you get higher expertise dice, what you could theoretically do as a fighter, for example, you might use like let's say you're high enough level to have two or three expertise dice. You could use one to add damage to an attack for some mm-hmm. in some maneuver, and then as a maybe something runs past you, you can take an opportunity attack using another um, uh, expertise dice. And my experience has been, uh, so far in D&D Next, I was creating some NPCs, um, just like fourth-level fighters or whatever. And you have options that you can choose now that allow you to do different things. And so it kind of changes up the combat. It makes it more interesting. It's not just, you know, I'm, I'm hitting it with my sword. You can do different things with it. I like the mechanic. I, I think it needs to be polished maybe just a little bit. Um, but uh, but it's a pretty decent one. It's pretty useful. Alright, now I've got two things that, that sure. have come up to me as you've, you've been sort of discussing these things. Uh, first of all, I, I, and I have to be up front, it has been several playtest packets since I've actually played some of the playtest stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. the last time I played expertise dies were something that only fighters had. And and my concern, as as I see that you know it's being the the mechanic is being spread out to other things, uh, is that it it was a, it was a a shiny awesome new little mechanic that everybody loved, and so maybe they're overusing it. Um, I kind of like the idea of it being a unique thing for the fighter class that made the fighter feel unique, you know. And I understand they're they're including certain maneuvers that only the fighter could pull off, or that only the 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 rogue could pull off, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. But but I still like the idea of the of different classes having different mechanics, um, and and that was yeah. an area I really liked the, having maybe it, have it only be fighter only. But I do too. I think that. Where you're going to see different, it's going to be 
the thing that differentiates a fighter, for example, a thief, is going to be a combination of things. And it will be something like they may share a few maneuvers together, but the fighter also can wear heavy armor and use heavier weapons. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, you know, and that's what he does. That he, He's a wall of metal against your foes. Sure. Whereas the thief is, you know, he might, he might also be able to do a dodge or something, mm-hmm. but, you know, at the same time, he doesn't have the benefit of, of shield bashing or anything like that as well. So yeah. I, 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 I almost wonder, the, I almost wonder if, oh, you, you know, you look at fourth edition and they kind of made everybody feel like a spellcaster. You know, every class yeah. kind of feels like a spellcaster with their daily and, and their encounter and their at-will powers. Um, I right. almost feel like that this is their way of saying, well, we're going to have interesting and cool things for non-spellcasters to do without it, with it feeling different than spellcasters. Um, and it's just going to be the sort of the catch-all mechanic for everybody who's not a spellcaster. And I, I think that's going to be – I think that's probably going to be the case. And what you'll have is each class – will have a menu of things that they can apply expertise dice to and those while some of the pieces of the menu may be shared because quite frankly if you're wielding a, a weapon you can only do so many things with it and you know yeah, just sure. because you're a thief doesn't mean you won't do some of the same things that a fighter would do at the same time particularly if you're like a swashbuckler or something like that uh-huh. um, and so yeah I think absolutely that's uh, you know kind of going to be the case Sam, so, did we trample I, all over something you were going to say? No, I was just going to say I don't think that your complaint is an uncommon one. I, I heard a lot of, of murmurings to that effect that I think what happened was uh, they introduced expertise dice only with the fighter because they wanted to see how it worked it, with mm-hmm. the class that has the easiest sort of way to tack that on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody thought, oh, awesome, this is how the, the fighter is going to be differentiated. It's going to have this cool new mechanic, and that's going to be the special thing with the fighter. And then the very next playtest packet, they had gotten such overwhelmingly positive feedback about it that they applied it to many different classes. And everybody said, oh, well, now you took what's special about the fighter away again. Yeah. yeah, which I think is – here's the thing, at least for me anyway. Now, I'm sure this will be my own grognard coming out and, <laughs> you know, but here's – not all classes are created equal. And there are different um, – what's the word I want to use? I don't want to say one's more difficult than another. Complex. Complex. Complexity. And it's okay for the different classes to be – uh, uh, you know, d- at different levels of complexity. Absolutely. If I want something easy to play, you play a fighter. Because yep. mm-hmm. you throw yourself at the, ar- the at the bad guys, and you don't have to worry about a lot of complex stuff. Yep. You know? Agreed. And I think, you know, if you, want to, if you want the minutia of worrying about material components and all the spell lists and spell books and things like this, then for all by all means, be a wizard. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of a weird... You know, I've been playing D D for thirty years, so it's it's sort of mm-hmm. kind of a weird argument to have. I can see the benefit of everyone wanting to be the same, but I'm not sure people want that. So. Well, I, I I don't think that people want to be the same. I think what happened was that um, it's a play test. Yeah, sure. You know, things are going to change and they're looking at how things work and how, right. you know, how well received things are and how things feel to the players. Because, you know, let's face it, the fact that D&D felt not like D&D by some, you know, measurement of whatever to a lot of people, that was a, a huge hit, a huge yeah. marketing hit, you know, mm-hmm. not hit as in great thing, hit as in a bad thing. 
Um, and I think they really want to avoid that. And the way to do that is to play and fiddle and move things and change things and see how they work. And, um, you know, I think people get up in arms about different changes in the play test. And, uh, you know, we're totally getting off topic. But I think that's where that stems from. I don't think it's because people want things to be the same. And I don't think it's because people want things to be different. I think it's that people like something and they want it to be the cool thing their class does. Sure. No, no. But they want it to be equally as powerful as that cool thing that that other class gets to do. And you know what? From a design perspective, that's really hard to do without making them all seem the same. Oh yeah, that's true. I'm willing to give it. You know, I'm willing to give it the, the benefit of the doubt and the time to, to see where it goes. And, and it's just, I'm, I, I'm not list, I'm not trying to voice complaints. I'm just trying to voice my, huh? I wonder where that's going to go. I'm a little concerned, and we'll see what happens. Sure, sure. Um, I think the flip side to this, and I think something that they need to look take very close attention to, is that if expertise dice comes becomes a general mechanic for uh, weapon using classes, if you will, as opposed to spell using classes, mm-hmm. then they need to look very carefully at a similar system, not expertise dice, but a similar way of constructing the spell using classes. And if that means consolidating some of the things, you know, do we really need a sorcerer and a warlock as a separate class if you're using a spell system? I don't know that I agree. I think it's okay for different classes to and, – and we're effectively looking at different power sources, right? Magical or non-magical. Uh, if, mm, if you I'm look looking at, at ways of resolving the special stuff in magic, just like the expertise. Yeah, but I don't think it needs to be the same. I, th- I think it's okay for different – Things, especially things that are different as as weapon use in magic, to to have different mechanics that feel different. But that does add to the amount of rules you have to learn. Yeah, I'm okay so with that. So, for example, only one person has to learn. I'm the person playing that character. Right. But my point is, is that if if I play a wizard and I know that spells work in a certain way, it would be useful if, while I may have a different selection of spells. And maybe something a little different here or there. The the way those work should be the same for the warlock and sure. and, and other, other spell other spell yeah, using yeah, class. Yeah, and we'll see, anyway. and yeah, and we'll see where it goes. I did have one other uh, possible issue there, and that's and that's simply the issue of decision paralysis. You know, the thing that slows down fourth edition is that there's just so many choices right. to make, and as you add mm-hmm. on, and now you've got eight different. Well, maybe not eight, but now you've got four or five different expertise eyes, and, and everybody's going to try to get the absolute most they can out of them. So they're going to try to use every single die in, in an interesting and unique way every single round. Are we going to end up slowing down the game because of it? You get an expertise dice per level. Okay, normally that would add to things like damage. So, but you only gain so many maneuvers, and you only get one at first, second, fourth, eighth, and tenth. At least so you only have now. five maneuvers to choose from? Yes. That's still a lot or, of choices. Or you could use them a- as damage, is what you're saying. I believe now, so, if I'm reading. Now, I'm I pre- very I, skirting this over, but yeah. I presume that you probably can't pull off every single maneuver every single round. No. Uh-uh. Okay. And, and that helps a little bit. But you do, have a, you do end up with a, a decent number of choices. Now... And this is going to spill over into my my dis, uh, article for discussion anyway. Um, oh, good bridge. So let's go ahead and talk about that. And, and I'm because I'm talking about the article on high level play that was uh, published at the beginning of November. Um, and, and they do talk a little bit about you know in higher levels we're not going to have things progress in this at the same rate as they did in the first ten levels. Uh, progression is going to slow down quite a bit mechanically, uh, or numbers wise as well as options wise. So you know you're not you maybe you're not going to you know by twentieth level. 
you're not looking then at 10 maneuvers. You're probably looking at the five maneuvers you had and maybe a handful more. Um, and then adding out a bunch of extra stuff to it. I should start my time since I've officially started my article. Um, so yeah, so I wonder, you know, if you do have a concern about decision paralysis there. Now five, it doesn't seem too bad. Five different options uh, after 10 levels of play. Uh, and you've had time to sort of develop those and get used to those. That doesn't right. seem horrible, although it might slow things down. I mean, you're not going to have the simple fighter that's just hit things with your three sword. They're still going to have to be able to make some decisions. The one um, thing I would say about the maneuvers, though, is that they are, they're very natural. Mm-hmm. They don't have strange arcane names, and they're pretty self-descriptive with the titles. So if you have a oh. maneuver like Bull Rush, that's pretty obvious. No more, no more power names that sound like heavy metal songs? Exactly. Oh, mm-hmm. Now I'm sad. That was you my know. favorite yeah, part like, of 4th Edge. Disarm, Bull Rush, and Flurry of Blows are all maneuvers. What Defensive about, roll yeah. is a maneuver. I mean, about, I mean, the worst ones here on the list yeah. that I see are Hurricane Strike. You know, that might not quite be self-explanatory. And Iron Root Defense. So, you know. There's no Tide uh, of Iron? I wrote a song about Tide of Iron. <laughs> no Tide of Iron. Oh, man. And it looks like it's the martial damage dice that are taking the place of expertise dice, and you don't get one of those every level. Okay. So No, by the time you're 20th level as a fighter, you have 6d6 martial damage dice. Right, and those are taking the place of expertise dice. Right. So, okay. okay. I think I've got that cleared up finally sorry they're basically the same thing it's just that they change the name because they now apply to fighters and monks and rogues or something or they apply to certain classes and other classes get expertise dice for skills so or something yeah yeah Yeah. the names get filed off and moved around and changed a lot sure sure yeah like a play test so anyway so back to your article so high level play sorry jeff Uh, no it's fine i find it interesting they start off the conversation in high level play by saying there was a time that they were seriously considering ending advancement at level 10. Yeah. Um, sort of under the idea that, that high-level play tends to get a lot less attention, fewer people play it, uh, fewer designers want to write adventures for that higher level, um, and all that kind of stuff. And so they, they, they took a serious moment to consider, do we only want to go to level 10 and just stop there? Um, which had me worried because I'm one of those guys who likes high-level play. Um, I, I, I like it when eventually the PCs reach a point where they become the superheroes of the world and that's where high level play can come in. Now it doesn't look like that's where they're going here and it has me a little concerned, but of course you can always make some adjustments to your, to your individual game, right? Up the, the magic quotient a little bit. Um, and pretty soon, you know, they're doing all kinds of crazy magical things anyway. See, now, I would argue that, and here's where I would probably disagree with you a little bit, I enjoy higher-level play, but only if it's done on... I don't like superheroes. I've never been a big supers fan. I don't want my fantasy characters to get to that level. I want well, them to and, be I, and I and I use that I use that that description tongue in cheek, right? I mean, I, I'm not actually trying to make you know the the fantasy version of Superman or something. Um, no, but, but, but if you look at some of the four E epic characters, it comes off like that. Yeah, they're well, flying around. <laughs> I mean, they're yeah. they're doing a lot of things that you could say you know they are superheroes. But, in fact, but, there's been but I would argue people that, have done rips that have done that. You know, I would argue that that all of my high level games through third edition and second edition were exactly the same mm. at least they, to, in my campaigns they felt the same okay well and, and i can't and sure i mean that may be the case but i guess for me paragon or not paragon i, I should hesitate <laughs> labeling it anything specific <laughs> ten, ten, ten to 20. um higher level play to me denotes when characters actually begin to do things like 
you know, gain armies or followers or build a castle yeah. or, you know, do things that and, are of the world and in the story, that make them powerful. And in the stories Not, I yeah. in the stories I typically like to tell, high level play denotes when we get to start doing some of the plane traveling, when we start to deal um with demons and devils and angels, some of my favorite sort of uh of creatures to deal with in my games. Uh, and right. when we start having we start actually getting the attention of the gods. Those are the and the divine forces of the world. That, those are the kinds of stories I really enjoy playing. And mm-hmm. typical um, lower level play characters, it's hard to justify that level of interaction with with the divine. You know, I oh, think sure. I yeah. think what you two are describing is the exact rift between a sort of old school minded person and a new school minded person. And I don't I'm not I don't mean like the OSR, but I just mean. Because I started playing a long time ago too, and when you if you started that far ago, when you got up to ninth level, you know you were like in the seventh druidic circle, and you, there were only two people in the world of that mm-hmm. high level, and that was the highest, sure. you know, whatever. Um, you get to a name level where you're named in your order, and you're building a fortress, getting a, an army together, having a ton of hirelings. You're you're basically administering your kingdom. Um, and that's just the way the game was. And then it, you sort of had to shift. If you still wanted to go out and adventure, you had to figure out how to, you know, who you're going to leave your kingdom in the hands of and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that is a, a distinct difference between, you know, f- basic and first edition and sure. second, second, third, and fourth. Because right. second, third, and fourth, second had a little bit of that, but not, but then it opened up and allowed for play that didn't require that at higher levels. Yeah. And so. And that's when second, I started playing, because I started playing right. second. And, and third went into it, and they never really had much of that at all. Right. And fourth, it was never even an option, now that, basically. That said, um, they are discussing options in this article that will appease exactly what you're looking for, Randall. They're, they're, oh, good. they're introducing what they're calling the legacy system. Uh, when you start getting double digit levels, then you can you can basically opt into this. I, I'm assuming from the way I read it, it feels like it's going to be one of those optional sort of modules that you can add on. Um, but it you know it effectively lets your your rogue found a thieves guild, or as they say, the cleric can establish a temple, or the fighter can can gain a stronghold with followers. The wizard starts creating brand new spells. You know uh, all of these sort of legacy things. You know, and it, that's what that and that's where the name comes from. Is, is it, when your character is gone, these are the legacies they leave behind. Mm-hmm. You know, building these armies and and um, you know becoming a saint. And, and all those kinds of things. Uh, now, my concern then is, uh, where are the modules to do my style of play? Where they where they're going up and, and at the end of their campaign, uh, duking it out with the gods. And see, I don't think that's going to happen because the <laughs> flat power level, the flat power level structure. <laughs> yeah, that right. So, is the new D and D going to allow me to play my style of game? And that's my question. And I'm not sure that the answer is yes. I think what you might see is a way to use avatars and things like that. Um, which places the gods at a level above, but yet allows them the player characters to interact with some kind of manifestation of the god. Mm-hmm. And just like a demon, if you kill it, it can't come back for like a hundred years or whatever. Mm-hmm. You would have a similar type of of um, thing, you know, if you're going to take on a god's avatar. And I think Three E handled it like this, whereas the god itself, you never really could truly kill. But mm-hmm. you could you could certainly wipe out their avatars, and that happened quite a bit. And right. 
And I mean, and over the course they, over yeah. the course of a of a whole campaign, you could, of course, as a DM, make a story where you did eventually take on a god or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I think you could do whatever you want, sure. Right, I mean, yeah, right, 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 right. Jeff, I th- I think what what we're looking at is you're going to have to wait for a module to well, allow you right, to, and, and that's what I'm saying. That. Given the modular system they're they're looking at creating, I wouldn't be surprised. Well. I might be a little surprised, but but it certainly seems like it would be it would be it would be open to the idea that they could add on a module that actually even tacked on another ten levels and went from twenty to thirty. Mm-hmm. That was the you know the epic module of and now you're doing all these you know super divine things. And I'm only thinking of like I'm specifically thinking of my recent campaign, right? Where eventually uh, over the course of of levels twenty five to thirty, um, it was not commonplace, but they took on two gods, a demon prince, and and a primordial. You know. Because mm-hmm. those are the kinds of threats they were ready to take on, you know. Right. But that kind of storytelling I, may not be possible. Yeah, and I don't see that with with the way that their progression goes, where you don't really, you know, the, it, for example, the thing that you exactly mentioned or that was mentioned earlier about, you don't really add two hit bonuses very very easily right. to your character when you go up in level. But what you add is damage dice. So. It's not a, it's not easier to hit a difficult creature. It's just easier to wound it if you do hit. Right. That makes a difference because in fourth edition, as you go up, you know all that stuff goes up. Your attack bonuses mm-hmm. go up. All everything goes up. So that by the time you're twenty fifth level, you can hit something that has an armor class of fifty. Right. That will never happen to a D and D next character. It right. seems now there might be a module. You know, just from reading everything, well, it but, seems that that won't. But you happen. also probably will never have a creature that has an AC of fifty. Right, and that's one of the reasons they. That's one of the reasons they did it. Right, was because then the you can make creatures that you don't have to have creatures with a bazillion different Insane, levels. Yeah. Right. Right, but so maybe gods are just weaker ma- ma- mathematically. They're they're the low, numbers are just lower on them too. Yeah, and, and so I, you know I don't I don't know what the solution is. I just you know they're trying to be very inclusive, and that is a style of play that they have not addressed as as including. Yeah, but, but maybe I think one of the but maybe oh, I'm sorry. the only one doing it, so maybe it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> I would I would hesitate to say only one, but Randall, you had one last thought. Oh, only the fact that um, in the original deities and demigods, there's a whole section about characters. Mm-hmm. You know, fighting deities and stuff, and one of the things it says is that um, while yes, we have provided stats for the various deities in this book, the odds of any player character ever taking on a deity because mm-hmm. the deity, and then it lists all these reasons why. It says, well, they'll have all that, kinds of that said, minions, they'll have yeah. all this blah blah blah. That and it's said, like there yeah. was there were also old modules, and I don't know if it was. First edition AD and D or second edition, um, but I have them somewhere. Um, old gold cover modules that actually laid out specific rules for characters becoming gods themselves. Well, that was basic D and D. You could become yep. an immortal. It was right. very difficult. You got up to thirty six level, yep, and when absolutely. you were thirty six level, you could roll basically to see if you, you know, to see what the consequences were of you attempting to become a, a, an immortal. Not, they didn't use the word gods; they said immortals. Oh, this and this, so, this was specifically yeah. uh, some mechanics where you actually had to be, get a sponsor in the the divine pantheon really uh, yeah yeah is that specific to a game world i don't think that was so in basic D D, i think i don't think basic so D&D, but, but, but they, they, they always called them immortals it was it was a really thin book and it was gold covered with the sort of um i, I want to say like divine creatures sort of in, a, in an astral you know space sort of uh background yeah that that sounds like the the immortals box yeah, that's the for, immortals. for basic okay. D D. yeah yeah 
you, 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 then it might be that you had to get a patron, but basically oh, yeah. you had to be 36 level uh-huh. and, you, and, you, and you really had to roll. And if you, if you failed your roll, you did not become immortal. You, yeah. were, you were killed, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Very so, interesting. So, I mean, I guess my larger point is that that, that has been a style of play. It, the, it has been, yeah. Back at the, back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. I think we, yeah. we've exhausted our, uh, our topics of conversation. Um, <laughs> and they were good ones. We did. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. Exhausted, but well, uh, we, I mean, we, we talked have, about. We, we haven't exhausted our topics, but but yeah. we've exhausted our time. Yeah. So uh, before we go, um, I'll go ahead and mention our second sponsor for the episode. It is Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine focused on all ty- styles of gaming: video gaming, board gaming, miniatures gaming, and of course, role playing games like D and D. Issue three is currently out. Um, issue four looks like they they're they're. Um, trying to make sure they get to continue forward with things, but they are having some financial issues, so look for a Kickstarter from them soon. If you want to see gaming magazines continue, this might be one you want to check out and think about supporting, so um, keep an eye out for that. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. All right. Well, we want to thank Continue Magazine and No Night Games for their support. And we also want to thank Randall, our street reporter. Thank hey, you, Randall. No problem. <laughs> Thanks for being our special guest in, in, in this episode. It was, it was yes. a nice, rare occasion to have you on. Uh, yes, since as I've been doing it a year now. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and don't forget to email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That is thetomeshow at gmail.com with your suggestions on formatting and naming. And because, you know, we still really haven't resolved a name. Yeah, no, and, uh, and, and I've had emails, and, and, all, and it is significant, uh, a significant number of them say, hey, I have this suggestion. It's not a name. I haven't come up with any names yet, but here's this other thing that, that I would suggest. Nice. Um, you can uh, swing by thetomeshow.com for show notes, or you can call us at 919-BIZ-TOME. That is 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. All right. And until next time, this is Jeff Greiner signing out for myself, Samuel Dillon, and our street reporter, Randall Walker. Uh, from our time-shifted news desk, out floating in the phlogiston between the crystal spheres, keep gaming, Tomites. Tomites. <laughs>